You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production. As a young musician, you've probably been told it's not a safe career path, but that's simply not true. Dylan Boyd has spent his entire career employed within the music industry and has achieved some pretty massive things like entertaining pubgoers as a singer and guitarist in cover acts, touring the world with ABBA tribute act, Beyond Again, managing a recording studio, and even being part of an Elvis tribute act. In this episode, Dylan explains how he turned his passion for music into a successful career. Dylan, you mentioned in our last episode that you didn't actually finish your degree because you were far too busy gigging. Where did all these opportunities come from? I could nail it down to one person in particular, and that was an agent that worked for a, like a booking agency here in Melbourne. And he came around to one of uh, the performance nights at JMC Academy as, a, I guess, like a third-party judge or something like that during our performance nights. Essentially, he took a number of us under our wing and we became a backing band for an Elvis impersonator who came down from Queensland to Victoria every quarter for a number of weeks at a time. And we would, yeah, we'd play all the, you know, the RSLs and the leagues clubs and the the, the clubs on the on the Murray and, and all that kind of stuff. I was playing guitar in an Elvis band. That was really my first real thing. I mean, I had a couple of little bands prior to that that were, you know, little acoustic acts and stuff that were you know, just in their infancy and we were doing private functions and friends' birthday parties and whatnot. But this was this was the first kind of, you know, paying customers, you know, out there, rehearsals, you know, there was a we were essentially employed by this Elvis impersonator. We did all the all those songs, I think, because all those songs are like two minutes long or something. There was about 60 songs to learn. So there's a massive repertoire of material to learn. And in particular, the the Elvis stuff was, I mean, for those Elvis fans out there might know that uh, his guitarist, James Burton, was um, quite the country player. So it was all that chicken picking stuff. So again, another really great opportunity to extend the skill set, learn a bunch of new songs. My parents weren't Elvis fans. I'd never really listened to much Elvis, so I thought, what a great opportunity to to open the the mind a bit and, and expand the skill set and go out there and do that. And from that, he also this same booking agency sort of obviously I could sing and play guitar, so you know it's a, it's got a bow on it for a bit of solo acoustic action, and that's what he did. He he placed me in a few gigs in and around Melbourne, uh, some down on the west side, some down on the peninsula, and it was playing on the peninsula where I was able to find other work and other agents and other agencies. And again, the networking starts. It's Once you enter, it's it's sort of one thing, it's the classic saying, one thing leads to another. It was probably the first couple of years just playing a lot of covers right up until I was probably about 23 or 24. And I had a couple of original bands that I was playing in at the time too. And we were doing gigs at the ESPY and, uh, you know, the Rob Roy and ding dong and places like that and and eventually again one thing leads to another you meet up with another guy and this young fella comes up to me and says oh I love you know I love what you do would you like to come over to my house and have a jam I've I'm in this band it's looking like we're getting some uh, some pretty good traction and uh, we've got a really great manager uh, on board we need a fourth member how's about you come and have a jam and and that's where sort of I guess that that was the fork in the road between playing covers but also then moving over into a more sort of original music capacity and eventually that band that I was in got signed and we did a you know a couple of east coast tours and a uh, and an EP release on uh, on a major record label it didn't really go very much further after that unfortunately you can have one of the 
the greatest managers in the world and and uh, one of the greatest record companies behind you, but it's all just timing and things like that. And unfortunately, that didn't go as, as far as we would have liked it. But, um, you know, came back to always still playing covers in and out of doing that uh, to earn a living. Uh, but then, yeah, came back and, and, and started up a few other things. And that's, um, you know, started doing a lot of work at places like, you know, Crown Casino and because uh, that was a hive of, of musical activity. You could pretty much walk walk through any any room in that venue and there's music playing somewhere. So those kind of venues. And then, yeah, from there it's uh, just, again, more networking and that's what led to a few other bibs and How bobs. do you find an agent in that space? Uh, well, some of them are out there watching you and that's actually serendipitously where most of my connections were made. Uh, but if you're not going to uh, have the luck of seeing an agent, you know, in the flesh, these agencies are contactable most of them are going to want some kind of, especially these days. I mean, you know, gosh, back back when I was entering it, there was no YouTube, there was no internet kind of social media stuff. I think there was, I think the closest we had to it was MySpace or something like that. It was mainly just about, you know, having nice photos and maybe a little EPK or something like that. Whereas now it's, it's all very heavily driven by content. So, um, and it's, it's very affordable to procure these days. Whereas back then doing a video of yourself or something like that, it was really expensive. Um, whereas now, you know, you've got an iPhone, check. You've got a $200 mic and a $200 interface, check. All right, we can make a video and it will probably sound really good provided you know just even the basic elementary level of, of how to use this stuff. Is social media the new portfolio in your space then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be on it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's it's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, you can't not have it anymore. Like that's where all the action is. That's where everyone's releasing content. That's where you can find things that you like. That's where you can publish things that you're doing and everyone's aware of what you're up to. That's where, I mean, even things like LinkedIn and stuff like that, that's, they're, they're, they're huge. You know, maybe not so much in the, in the creatives industry as far as music is concerned, but certainly if you're, uh, you know, if you're in TV or film, um, or even theatre, you know, LinkedIn's a huge one. Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, it's it's huge and is it in, in just music. A, a constant repetition of putting your songs up, putting your songs up, putting your songs up, or does it does it need to have that and uh, supplemented with other forms of content as well, like little pieces to camera or about to give you personality, or what do you do? It's dribs and drabs, you know, drip feed it to everybody. You don't, I mean, people's attention span is <laughs> zero, people are very quick to jump off. So there's probably not much point in doing a three and a half minute video of yourself playing a song. Just give them a little bit of it. And then at the end of it, by the way, guys, I'm doing a gig here. And then people will be like, oh, okay, let's go down there and check them out. You know, it's it's literally that quick. The engagement is that quick. So as quickly as you can turn it on, it's, it's, it's just as quick to turn off for somebody. And provided it's, I guess it's in relatively engaging content, you'll probably get a few fans out of it. This gigging lifestyle that you've engaged in and a lot of other people do as well, can that be a career? Absolutely. It's not like you can go out and do one gig a week and survive. You're going to have to probably move a bit of volume, but that's why you do it because you want to do a lot of gigs. Like it's, it's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and set up your stuff and play music, songs that you like, you know, whether it be your own or somebody else's, whatever, chances are you'll, you'll, you'll get a good fee for it. And uh, if you can do that a couple of times a week. And in terms of income, it's quite good as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's, 
how long's a piece of string when it comes to gig fees. But I mean, as, as your experience grows and your quality of, of performance increases and your network changes and you start playing with people who are getting better money or whatever, like it's a process. It's like anything else, you know, you, you do work your way up to it. So look, absolutely, it's, it's a tenable career and it's something that you can support yourself with. Now, Dylan, I mentioned in our first episode that I've known you for about four years and over the journey we've had many, many conversations. But one thing you've never mentioned to me is the fact that you were actually part of an ABBA tribute band, Beyond Again. A good friend of mine rang me up and he said, dude, I've got this, uh, this, this band, Beyond Again. You ever heard of them? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've heard of them. Everyone's heard of that, that ABBA tribute band. They're fabulous. And um, he's like, oh, they're looking for a guitarist to sort of step in and do a bit of fill-in work and a bit of debt positioning and they've got some some overseas tours and stuff and obviously the main band needs to stay here in Australia and they want to put together another band to go out and and uh, play these, these overseas gigs because there's multiple bands around the world. There's a couple in the UK, there's a couple in the US and Canada and then so it's like split into territories. The script is very similar and obviously the songs are the same, the outfits are the same, the accents are the same and it's uh, the quality of musicianship is usually fairly high. So I, I thought, oh, okay, I don't really know much ABBA. But again, similar to the, the Elvis thing, it was like what a great opportunity to sit down and unpack these amazing songs. I mean, they are, they're amazing. Like they're, they're the greatest pop songs ever written, really. And I did that and I fell in love with it. It was like this, is, this, this music is amazing and so... I played in that band for about 10 years, like I said, doing a lot of the, the, the fill-in stuff and, and some of the, the touring work and it's a fabulous show. It really is. You know, it was, it was a pleasure to be involved in it. What can I say? What were some of the locations you went to? We did oh, a month and a bit in Johannesburg. I've, I went to Chiang Mai in Thailand. I went to Shanghai, China, Fiji, a couple of gigs in Bali. Get treated like a celebrity. They get treated very well, you know. It's I think it's built into the rider. It it was definitely the, the the top end of the market. That's for sure. With that, there would be a lot of pressure on you to perform night after night, day after day. Um, the travelling schedule in there as well. So there would have been a lot of things in there that would have been uh, difficult to deal with as well. How did you get through all of that? Uh, look, you know, it is probably the most challenging part of the job is that, you know, no one cares if you're sick or if you're not feeling well or if you, I don't know, you've got stuff going on at home or you, whatever. Like, you know, the, at the end of the day, you're there to be entertaining. That's what, you know, part of being an entertainer is, <laughs> you know. So um, there is a bit of a face that you put on and we all have it. Uh, there's the onstage performer and then there's the person off stage, I guess. Um, and you do need to try to realise that they are two different things like... <laughs> You know, um, and if you're ultimately, if you're not feeling up to it, then, you know, you can sort of try and structure your environment or your, you know, who you work with in order to give you some options if, if you're not perhaps feeling very well, be it physically or mentally. I never really used to struggle with it. I, yeah, you know, I always look forward to going out and playing. And I think this is probably a really good bit of advice was that I tried also to be involved in lots of different things and try and keep it fresh and try and keep it different every night. Like I wasn't just playing in Bjorn again five nights a week I would do a Bjorn again gig once a fortnight if that then there was a couple of other corporate bands that sort of sprung off Bjorn again that I was involved in so there'd be a gig at Palladium or a gig at uh, you know a, a really nice restaurant or a yacht club for a wedding or something like that then it'd be a solo gig or maybe a duo gig at Crown or you know a, a private function the next day 
uh, an afternoon Sunday sippers at the you know local pub down on the peninsula in front of the beach you know and try and try and work in the the locations that you're going to try and take advantage of that to try and make the experience worthwhile so if you're going to take a drive down to the peninsula on a beautiful 30 degree sunny day maybe throw in a swim down at the beach while you're down there like that'd be a really good thing to do and then go and do your gig or in reverse whatever like it, it is what you make of it and and i think keeping things fresh and having a variety of work on is i think what made it doable for me 10 years with beyond again is a very good run it obviously came to an end. Why was that? Did you did you feel a little burnt out or there were other opportunities that were coming through? Definitely, you know, that's what happens with all careers. I guess things get to the end of the road of, in terms of what you feel you can contribute to it um, as well as you know, other opportunities coming up. This has been great. This has been a fabulous time. It's time to move on to other things. And it wasn't short, much longer after that, that I decided to get back into flying as well. So there were other things in life that I was looking to do as, as well as, as uh, sort of maybe take a little bit of a, a breather from some of the more intensive gigging. I was just very happy to, you know, take a seat on a stool with my acoustic guitar and play some songs and, and during the day practice my flying. One of the other opportunities that presented itself was managing the very studio that I'm sitting in right now, Salt Studios here in Brighton. How did that come about? Interestingly enough, it came from a connection that I made back in JMC Academy. There you go. At the time, uh, a good friend of mine that I knew back then, who was one of the uh, heads of faculty there, who after I left, we, we maintained a friendship for many years and still do. One of his really good mates um, and business partner was uh, looking for someone to take the reins on a studio that he'd run for many, many years in both, a, a, I guess, a studio manager capacity, but also... Uh, in perhaps maybe a little bit of record producing or and, and you know song producing for, for some of the clients. So obviously playing guitar and singing and being able to play a little bit of keyboards and, and all that kind of stuff and having a really good network of musicians around me, um, the idea of producing some records or producing some songs was really attractive and it was something that I felt that I could do as well as, you know, many years in music retail as well. I've, I've worked at a guitar store for you know, seven or eight years, something like that. So I could easily talk on the phone and, and it is, it's a sales job, obviously a studio manager, people ring up and they want to get things done. It was a great opportunity to come and work there and that inevitably led on to other things. You know, one thing leads to another, that's what happens. What are some of the things you learnt there? I guess one of the things that I learnt about managing the studio was just, I guess, trying to get the best out of people is really what you're there to do as a record producer. You know, you can you can advise on instrumentation, arrangement, all that kind of stuff, but ultimately you're there to try and inspire people to give you a good performance. I think that was one of the things that I enjoyed the most was trying to make people feel comfortable and be ready to deliver, you know, in the studio because it's it's hard, you know, you, you, especially if you're not, you're not overly experienced in delivering song in a in a studio environment. Uh, once they, we call it red light fever, you know, once the red light goes on, people clam up and they, oh, they get really sort of, you know, nervous and whatnot. And it's just trying to trying to cure that ill with people was was a real challenge. But it was ultimately, I think, one of the things I enjoyed the most when you, you know, you get that magic take and you're just like, yes. And it hasn't ended for you either, has it, Dylan? Because you're back on the stage with a new band called Superband. Talk to me about that. Superband is a, a, a wonderful partnership between myself and five other really good friends. It's basically a you know it's a, it's a corporate cover band, a wedding band, uh, private functions, things like that. Well, 
whatever you want it to be really it's uh whatever the gig needs is what we do and um it's a really really great bunch of guys that i love working with it's your standard sort of rock and roll pop band i guess drums bass guitar keys a couple of female vocalists and myself and, and the keyboard player we also sing so there's basically four front people and we sort of go song for song and it's it's the harmonies are great you know, i love working with them they're really good friends that's where it all starts like from there what can go wrong really a couple of the other offshoots of super band is the uh the tribute bands that we've uh that we've got the the one of them is the is a billy joel elton john tribute we call it the piano men i'll say it just like i said about the other two tribute bands i wasn't a huge fan of billy joel or elton john but you are now I am now, I've got to tell you, fabulous music with a keyboard player, a male keyboard player, male guitarist and a brunette and a blonde singer. We'd be pretty silly not to have a crack at a little bit of ABBA as well. So we've got a little ABBA tribute band that we, uh, that we like to, to throw on the, the white satin pyjamas on and, and go and play a bit of ABBA stuff. Super Trooper is what we call it, uh, which is one of their song names. And it's very closely linked, obviously, to Super Band. So that's why we called it Super Trooper. We just dress like them. We're still, I'm still Dylan. And I still talk like me and we, we chat to the audience in our regular talking voices. We don't really try to ham it up too much. We, we've sort of always said is that if we were ever going to do a tribute act or something like that, we just want to be us. That way there's no pressure. You've just got to get up there and sing and play the best you can and that's all that matters and have a great time. That's it. Fantastic. Well, it's really great to chat to you about all of that, Dylan, and hear your story and and see how you've turned uh, a love of music into a a professional long-term career. So well done. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a great career so far for Dylan, and it's not over yet. It's awesome to hear how the connections he made along the way have turned into genuine friendships and led to music opportunities. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production.